Okay, hello, Savannah Hawk. Hello. So, uh, I'm excited to have you on. Welcome to the Edlow Podcast. I'm happy to be here. I am a listener, so I'm happy to be on the show. <laughs> but I probably won't listen to myself, but I'm happy to be here. I hate listening to my own podcasts. It's so funny. I because I try. I do because I want to just make sure the audio works well. And you know, I'm always trying to find little clips that I can put out there of things that might draw some attention. And I just hate it. I'm like, God, it just sounds so weird. Yeah. Well, you know, you get used to it though, and so it's yeah. actually a good thing to hear yourself. You can get a better, you know, contributor and speaker. So yeah, it's yeah. It you know. You know, as a lawyer, I depose people all the time and I do it by video. And when I first started my career, uh, my boss was like, you need to watch every single one of your depots because then you'll see all of your, you know, all of your little intricacies because there's a transcript, you know, that yeah. comes out of a deposition. And uh, man, that was the most brutal experience. All the ands and ums and, and terrible questions. And I remember thinking there were a few depots where I'm like, oh, I crushed that one. And I looked at him like, this is the I can't get anything out of this. It's so it was so bad, and I've gotten better over the years. But but this actually podcasting is so different than, than taking depositions because in a deposition, most of the time you kind of know what you're trying to get. Yeah. Where whereas I come here and I'm not trying to get anything. I'm just trying to hear your story and, and help facilitate it. And I think it makes me a better attorney when I do depositions. But it's just a different exercise. So. Right. So I just I don't think you can use StreamYard when you're doing depositions. No, I mean. no, we do a lot of Zoom. the 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 um, The pandemic really changed the way we practice law. I, I probably didn't take a deposition for six or seven months because I didn't. I wanted to be in the room. Yeah. And and now with Zoom, uh, God, it's so nice when you have a doctor that's three hours away and it's a one hour depot to not have to drive all the way out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's so nice. And so there's still some that I want in the room. But but this is this is a uh, this is great, too. And also it's great for the podcast because you and I would never have an opportunity to have this conversation because you're out in South Carolina, right? Yeah. Three hours, three hours different from you. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for for doing late. I actually just did a podcast with someone in Scotland and he was and I had to do it I I think it was like 10 o'clock when I started my th 10 in the evening and it was 6 a.m. at his time so we were both struggling at the beginning um, but anyhow so you're Detroit born yeah. um, and you're an author you're a podcaster you you actually did a TED talk Two right talks. yeah and you are you identify as dual gender yes and so I, I don't. I told you off air. You're the first person I've ever talked to who identifies as dual gender. Maybe you can explain to me what that means. Well, for me personally, I can't uh, describe the label for anybody else. But right. uh, bi gender, dual gender, gender queer, gender fluid, non-binary, all kind of live in the same, you know, vacuous umbrella where we we are some of one and some of the other you know i could be more male which is 75 80 percent of my life i you know mm -hmm. go to work as male my my relationship at home is mostly male um but then there's times like here with you or on my sundays or when i'm doing advocacy or when i'm going out on sunday just to go out where savannah lives and breathes and has a life and has an identity and has a presentation such as this and uh yeah it's just I have no interest in transitioning, so mm. I'm a non-transitional 
transgender person. And as a result, it just, it, this allows me to fulfill the spiritual feminine nature that I have inside me that needs a voice. Interesting. So you, you just referenced something, a non-transitional transgender person. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps you can explain what that means. Like maybe give me an idea of what the difference is between transgender and dual gender, okay. what you're doing. All right. Well, there's two things. There were back in the day transsexuals. Right. Transsexual, the term went out of vogue mm -hmm. and they adopted transgender. But transgender is also a larger umbrella term for mm -hmm. all people who have, who are living across gender. Mm -hmm. So uh, even though I'm biologically male, I'm presenting as male and female. And a lot of people do this. So we all live under the umbrella of transgender, but the formerly known as transsexual, the transitioning transgender people also live under the umbrella, but they're also called transgender. So that's mm -hmm. why there's sometimes a, a disparate misunderstanding where I may call myself transgender and somebody who is physically has, is a trans man, trans woman uh, who has gone through surgery or uh, taken chemicals or had bottom surgery, whatever it might be, might say, well, you're not me. Well, I said, no, I know I'm not you. I'm not transgender in a way you're transgender, but we all live under this greater umbrella, which is a transgender mm -hmm. umbrella. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up and I just wanted to, because I, I have a lot of friends all across the spectrum of of political views and and uh, you know moral values and some religious some not and I think that part of the problem with that some people have with this change in culture that we have is that like yeah like you kind of just said there was kind of blanket terms for all this stuff you know transgender you know and now it seems like people because everybody is kind of different you almost have to break it up into even smaller groups yeah so now instead of having just transgender or say uh you know someone who is homosexual or or lesbian or gay whatever you want to say now it's pansexual and then there's dual gender and then there's you know there there are all of these different ideas and it's like we got to keep track of them all you know and uh and not to say that's a bad thing, it's just a different thing. And it's, it, it would change is hard for people. Yes, you know? and it doesn't help when uh, the vernacular is so rapidly changing, even within yeah. in, the, in the 2000s. You know, before, in 1996, when I finally proclaimed to myself, I am a transvestite, hmm. I hated the word as soon as I accepted it for myself because it was hmm. there's so much loathing attached to it. So uh. cross-dresser became very quickly the piece the more pc version of transvestite mm. now what i tell people now is that i am not a cross-dresser mm -hmm. cross-dressing is how i go from chuck to savannah but it doesn't define why i do it mm. so i had to go down a path of self-discovery of like well what fits me i'm transgender okay my gender non-conforming yeah but yet i conform to the biological gender when i present i don't like go out like this with a beard. You'll never see that. So I don't like do amalgams of a female or male presentation together. So I was like, well, pretty conforming and my non-conforming, uh, but I'm genderqueer and sometimes I need to present. And those are people who wake up one day and say, I'm going to be female today or I'm going to be male today. I am not that. I have a very 
regimented routine of, you know, Sundays are the day for Savannah, and I'm happy with that. I don't need much more, except for here on a Wednesday with you. Right. <laughs> so, like, there, there's so many terms, and like you said, yeah, it's an explosion of terms to further slice up what gender means, which is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing in that more people can see a word and say, yes, that word describes me more accurately, and now I can understand myself better. But from an out, uh, outlier or a person outside the community, and even inside the community, there was a lot of people struggling with keeping up with the terms and the words. And I don't know what this means. I, I don't even, I, I've just got used to transgender. Now you're telling me there's non-conforming and gender queer and, and uh, you know, agender. Then what does that got to do with sexuality, which is a completely different thing, which has nothing to do with our gender sexuality. It's a whole different plane of existence about mm-hmm. agender or, you know, uh, demi, uh, I'm sorry, demisexual, asexual, uh, you know, all these things are in play, but they're all their own little stars in the galaxy. And for somebody who is not versed in it, it's, it can yeah. be a hard push to get someone yeah. to want to understand it. Well, I got to I got to tell you, as you were explaining all of that, I had I, the thing that crossed my mind. You probably saw me crust, crack a smile because I was sitting there and I was thinking for you to figure all this out for yourself. That had to be an exhausting process. Yes. You know what I mean? Like to sit there and think to yourself, okay, so in 96, you decided to be that you, you felt as though you were transgender transvestite then, Mm -hmm. and then having to figure out what does that mean for me while all of these changes are happening? I just, I just think about how sometimes when I'm thinking about my, you know, my kids and like my, my very like white normal like you know what i mean like like i you couldn't heteronormative cis whiteness (laughs) exactly i'm just i recognize that of of the hierarchy of people you feel like any sympathy for i am the least sympathetic person you know what i mean like as far as who you like if i have problems nobody really cares because i'm just like yeah but you have all the advantages and i recognize that i do you know what i mean not to say my life was easy but i mean as far as my presentation to the world, you can't be any more like accepted than a a tall, athletic white guy who is a lawyer. Like you just, you know what I mean? It it's it's it can't get any more vanilla, and and so. But hearing all of that and just thinking, man, in my life, sometimes it's exhausting to think about all the things I have to think about. I can't imagine trying to figure all that all that out, especially in a time like the 90s, because I remember the 90s where people were calling each other gay as a joke. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it was it was, uh, uh, you know, and, and we had we weren't even thinking about g- gender fluidity. It, yeah. If you would if we went, went in a time machine back to 96 and someone said I'm gender fluid, no one would have any idea what you're talking about. No. No, there was not yeah. the language for that. But yeah. in 96, I was living in New York City, and I had gone to Lucky Chang's, which had opened in like 94, 93, 94, which was drag-operated, drag-run, drag-staffed. Uh, like the entire place, and this was a place where celebrities in New York were going in because it was super hot to do in 96 to 95, and people were all going there because it was like the new thing. And yeah, it was that's where I first realized that people could appreciate somebody who is biologically male 
as far as I understood, and be presenting as female and have a job and get tips and perform and be the hostess and be the bartender. And it, mm-hmm. it was mind blowing for me to come from the Midwest to go to there and see that, even though all I knew, like you said, in the 90s, you're gay or straight or gay, lesbian or straight. You are man or woman, gender. That's the only genders I understood. And then there was these people who like who were men as far as I knew, but like to dress as women, but yeah. did it for themselves, not for all the movies I had seen up to that point where, oh, I have to dress as a woman to get a job, Tootsie, to see my kids, mm-hmm. Miss Doubtfire, mm-hmm. have an apartment, bosom buddies. You know, mm-hmm. all those things were how I saw the world from somebody who dressed as a woman, but none of that ever spoke to me as like, that represents me. So you have the 90s with the infant- infantile internet, Right. Um, and everything yeah. just being just so torrid and so uh, stigmatized and fetishized. It's like it was very difficult for me to say, hey, yeah, I'm one of those people. Yeah. And and you mentioned movies. Is there a movie out there that you feel you did that did speak to you on this? Not. No. Uh, not yet. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were a couple. I would say uh, there was one that was the guy who was from Heroes, who was like the big brother. I can't remember his name. But he was in a movie called Just Like a Woman. Okay. And that movie actually tried to show cross-dressing in a serious light. Uh-huh. As like, this is part of who I am, not like, uh, you know, this big gag we're running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was up there. Kinky Boots. Um, uh, Tu we, Wong Fu yeah, was yeah, something yeah. I saw that was they were doing it for them. It was performance, for a drag performance, but also that was how they lived their lives. You, you know, it's, fu- it's funny you bring up Kinky Boots because I, um, my youngest daughter, Lexi, is big into theater and um, she's she's doing plays. She's in a play right now and she really loves it. So I got, you know, I bought season tickets to the, the Music Circus, which is out here. You know, it's a theater in the round and they do all sorts of things. And we had tickets to Kinky Boots and I had I had never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. And of course, I'm sitting there, you know, looking back, she's 11. I'm like kinky boots should have probably prompted a google search you know but <laughs> i was like well we're gonna go see this play and we sat down and i and i was very surprised um but she loved it and that actually prompted uh my amber LeMay episode was i was like because i want you know i want to expose my daughter to what a, what a drag queen really is like and and um and so going on that, can you tell me then what is different about you versus, say, a drag queen like Amber LeMay? And she was well, she summarized it perfectly. I was I was on the edge of my seat waiting for her to to explain what drag meant to her, which she said it was performative. Right. right. It was a way to to express yourself and perform and be this bigger than life character, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't sing. I can't dance. Um, <laughs> I do not do this for performance art or entertainment. Uh-huh. This is strictly what I do to express myself. Um, I like to be out in the world. Like mm-hmm. I do have a need to be out in the world, uh, seen and unseen. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes the best way to blend in is to stand out and the best way to stand out is to blend in mm-hmm. so uh, especially in south carolina where you know it's red in lots of guns yeah flags i gotta um, imagine i gotta imagine your experience out there would be very different than it is here in california 
Uh, yeah, probably, but I know there's some red in California as well, depending yeah. on where you go. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, I've been, I will say I've been met with nothing but kindness down here. We're in the upstate, so mm-hmm. it's very progressive in a fairly red state, but it's fairly modern and moderate and liberal here in the, mm-hmm. the Greenfield, Spartanburg area. Um, but I've never met so many kind, loving people who just accept me for who I am, who like to ask questions like you do. Yeah. Um, and I've never been more visible than I have been since I moved to South Carolina. Wow, that's really yeah. great to hear. You you wouldn't expect that. No, no, I yeah. wouldn't. But I, what I would tell you that when I was in New York, I went out, but mm-hmm. I would go to private events. I'd go to clubs. I'd go to places where you pay 20 bucks and it's you're protected and you're, you're in this bubble of people who are like you. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't feel a need to be as public and with mm-hmm. the society, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But come mm-hmm. down here, the bubble didn't exist. Yeah. So I had to find a bigger community, which was the bigger LGBTQ plus community, uh, P flag and meetup groups, and then realize, why don't I just go out? I can just go out. I can go to Starbucks and sit and work on my computer and do my own post-production on my own podcast and do my mm-hmm. writing and sit there and just enjoy the day. And if somebody happens to look at me or wants to talk to me, that's all the better. Wow. That's awesome. So, so now you mentioned you're married uh, to a woman. Yes. Yeah. Actual real life <laughs> <laughs> heteronormative cisgender woman. Wow. Yes, all genetic woman. Uh, yeah. Yes. We've been together seven years. Um, no, that's not right. Nine years. Uh, she's known since day one. Um, a lot of people will misconstrue and have misinformation about somebody who is a cross dressing person must be gay. That's mm-hmm. absolutely false. Uh, from from the surveys I've seen and heard. 85% of cross-dressing males are heterosexual. Hmm. So, you know, we as soon as I tell somebody, three things come to mind immediately for people. If I say, hey, uh, this is Savannah, this is me. I'm mm-hmm. also this person. They, they would say, are you gay? Do you want to transition? Or and are you a drag queen? Mm-hmm. Those and, are the three big, those are three big misconceptions about what a cross-dresser is. Sure. So, uh, your wife, and I don't want to get too personal about this, but how does she respond on Sundays when Savannah comes out? Is it is it the same as if you are, you know, you, you your male version is Chuck, mm-hmm. right? Does she respond differently to affection and things of that nature when you're dressed as Savannah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The relationship is, is not the same. Mm-hmm. I would love it to be the same, of course. But mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's barriers. That's not what she is looking for. She's not attracted to the feminine. Uh, so, yeah, it is a different dynamic um, mm-hmm. that we have. Um, we even had a conversation that we'll have on my podcast soon, which is she still sometimes feels uncomfortable when she's sitting down on a couch and I come downstairs dressed and ready to go out. And sometimes that makes her uncomfortable, even though she's been with me for nine years and it's got nothing to do with her worrying about me. She just sometimes it takes her aback, you know, that's, regardless of how well I do it. That's really interesting. Even now, after nine years. Yeah. Wow. So how do you handle that? Uh, uh, a couple's therapy, a lot of conversation, uh, understanding expectations, um, mm-hmm. setting boundaries, um, mm-hmm. and then working with those boundaries and then revisiting mm-hmm. those boundaries. Um, you know, we've had her on my podcast <coughs> with my mm-hmm. co-host several mm-hmm. times, and mm-hmm. she's like the voice of the significant other uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways where I'll never be able to tell her story, and she can. Um, it is con- a constant evolution 
mm -hmm. and just understanding where you are in any moment of that evolution and mm -hmm. trying to just do the best you can. So are there times, I'm guessing, where it's a Sunday and and she says, hey, listen, we're going, I don't know, at my parents' house or something like that. Uh, can we? Can you beat Chuck today for me? I mean, do you have those types of situations that um, come up? She knows that Sunday is for Savannah. Okay. So typically uh, plans aren't made like that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but her family knows about Savannah completely. Uh -huh. All her daughters, all their husbands, they're uh -huh. fully well aware of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, they all live out of state, so nobody's had the actual... To meet Savannah? Uh, they haven't <laughs> met me yet, but yet the youngest daughter is always sending me cosmetics mm -hmm. and like saying, this is what this is for. and gives me a little, you know, a gift bag of all the stuff she's not using. So everybody's appreciative and supportive of Savannah. Um, but to your question, mm -hmm. if she said, hey, can you show up in this way for me? Of course, I would do that. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of give and take there then, I would imagine. Of course, you have to, because otherwise <coughs> it's all her coming to me and me not doing anything to compromise yeah. back. Yes. So um, it sounds like then you are you guys are involved in, uh, this is her second marriage. Is this is this your second marriage as well? Or? Uh, it would be, yes. Okay. All right. And I, I, you don't have to, if there's anything you don't want to talk I about, about, you can let me know. Was I married? I was yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I was married. So you're so was it the same with your first wife? Did your first wife also have aware or did did do, I guess the reason I ask is because I had um, a guy named Sonny Smith who transitioned from being male to female and then transitioned back to being male, and he talked about the difficulties he actually ended up going through a divorce because of partially because of his transgenderism, and. Uh, um, uh, did did that? Do you think that your your status as a dual gender person had anything to do with your first marriage, kind of the demise, or is that just? Well, I mean, come on, it was the Roaring Nineties, Gay Nineties, Nineteen Nineties. In actuality, we were married for five years in the ninety. We had moved to New York together um, during that marriage, and I was discovering more, as I said earlier, about who Savannah is and. What what this this new world was opening up to me about like mm -hmm. what who am I and why am I, mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, in the same way, she was discovering her own sexual identity, uh, and as a result, she discovered her sexual identity was not um, hetero, mm -hmm. and as a result, as I'm moving this way and she's moving this way and we're evolving in different ways, we had to make the decision that um, you know we couldn't stay in this relationship and both flourish. So we divorced. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's fairly amicable in mm -hmm. that way. Uh, to your point, did she know from day one about Savannah? No, but I was also very immature. Mm -hmm. I was uh, early in my 20s. I didn't really have a lot of confidence about sharing who I was with people. But as a result of that marriage, every relationship I had since, from the moment we become serious, like day one, they're being told. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how you... you how that happens how as you get older you you realize what's most important when you're in your 20s it's just is this person hot <laughs> you know and well, then, I, and, I, I would yeah that too but it was uh, also just being immature about who i was again being in the 90s let's call it 91 92 where i didn't even actually come to terms with who i was how can mm. you have a conversation with your partner with your loved one when you're mm. not even sure what to make of yourself that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I have to ask this because I know that there's a, probably listeners who are wondering this. 
Was there anything, and I asked, uh, you know, I think I asked Amber LeMay the same question. Was there anything in your, in your, your childhood, any sort of abuse or anything that you think may have contributed to your dual gender, dual gender status? Oh, great question. Uh, the answer is, as far as I know, no. Okay. Uh, I will tell you, I was attracted to the feminine from the age of five. Mm. So I don't think there was a lot of abuse happening before five that would lead sure. me in that route. What did happen, though, uh, conversely, is that because of my family and the way my family is, they are very anti-queer. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, this is Midwestern, conservative, traditional, uh, lower middle class, working class family. And they had no compunction about speaking ill about gay people mm. or faggots or whatever. Mm. That was just how they talked. But yeah. as a young, young person hearing these things being talked about to external things, sure. you realize that, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to share this with my parents, right. which then led me into, you know, 15 years of really hiding myself away. So all the quote unquote abuse happened mm. afterwards. It mm. happened like just protecting myself in a way that I wouldn't lose her respect. I wouldn't lose her love. Make sure I didn't make waves. Make sure I kept this hidden away. And that actually caused me to compartmentalize differently. Um, mm. I have this um, risk assessment that I'm always on the lookout. Like every situation, I'm always risk assessing. Um, mm. And it's something that is great, like in terms of business, in terms of talking to people, micro expressions, understanding body language, understanding intent tone, all those things I learned as a result of hiding who I was and having to survive in this world. So no, I don't think there, there was nothing I can point to that said, oh yeah, because my dad this did this, or because my dad likes my, loved my sister so much and I didn't get that love, therefore I want to emulate my sister. No, nothing like that was really in mm. my purview. Mm, interesting. You know, uh, a couple questions I have out of this. One, uh, of what you just said first well how do you how, how's your relationship with your parents now and then second also what what do you think it was that was the catalyst for you kind of going away from hiding yourself and then kind of becoming this person who you're just you seem <coughs> excuse me you seem so confident in who you are now you know what i mean and and I, that I'm sure took years and years to do, but what do you think was the big catalyst that kind of started you moving away from that? Um, I'm a pretty introspective person, whether mm -hmm. learned or innate. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, uh, once I hit my 20s and once I accepted the label for myself of transvestite in 1996, it was a constant assessment of mm -hmm. like, am I gay? because I would go to the drag club and be dressed as a woman. I'd see a man dressed as a woman and think they were pretty hot. So mm. that must mean I'm gay because I'm attracted to them. And then mm. I had to unravel like my sexuality as a result, mm. um, which then like, by the way, I wasn't gay a second ago. <coughs> now I'm gay all of a sudden. How did that sure. happen? Right. And then that took me like 25 years to realize that your sexual attraction and your romantic attractions are completely different. Mm. Meaning like if you see a person across the room and you think they're hot, that's mm -hmm. who you're sexually attracted to, which is, for me, the feminine, man, mm -hmm. woman, transgender, pre-post-op, doesn't matter. If they're mm -hmm. presenting as a female and they're crushing it, they're mm -hmm. attractive to me. Mm -hmm. If that's what I like and they're like embodying what I love about a woman, that's going to be attractive. But typically, my 
romantic attraction, the person I want to be in a relationship is going to be very heteronormative. Mm. So in that way, it's like I want to be with a woman. Now, I could I could say I'm pansexual because if you brought a post-op uh, trans person and I never knew they were ever a man and they're crushing it and we mm -hmm. fell in love, am I going to like stop loving them because I found out they were a man? No. So in mm -hmm. that way, it would kind of make me pansexual in some mm -hmm. ways. So mm -hmm. back to labels. But mm -hmm. to your original point, what started me down the road was that moment of acceptance of myself. Uh, and it took, I'm still working on it. Mm. I'm, I think a lot of it has to do with my writing because mm -hmm. I typically write and as I'm writing is fairly cathartic and like you discover things just by letting things pulse out of your fingertips onto the page. Right. So that's been helpful. I've done plenty of research for my books. That's been helpful. And I'm constantly listening to people's stories. I'm constantly reading people's stories and like understanding how that relates to me or does not relate to me and then building a better base for myself. Yeah. Um, to, and then to your other point, how do my parents feel about it? My parents never found out. Mm. I never told my parents, if you watch my first TEDx from uh, North Carolina State, one of the last things I say is that, you know, my parents may see this talk mm. and they may like want to like find out that this is who I am and I'll deal with it if that happens, but they don't know. And my mm. father's passed away just mm. this year. And uh, what I did is I wrote, I, we, we all, all the kids brought back ashes from the trip mm -hmm. and I wrote a letter to him and, um, burned that letter once I read it out loud and then mm -hmm. scattered out with his ashes. So mm. interesting. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have uh, one older sister who does know mm -hmm. and one mm -hmm. younger brother who's autistic, who wouldn't understand it even if I explained it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is he, um, is he what? What do you call it? Non non audible, non verbal, non verbal, or is Certainly. he? I mean, he can okay. he speaks, but he he's uh -huh. not going to be able to carry a conversation or have his own place or be able to be mm -hmm. self sufficient in a way that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but my sister knows, but we don't really talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. It's just it's just a known quantity between. Okay, us. has she met Savannah? She has not. She's seen pictures. She knows my okay. advocacy, but no, she's never. Never met. I have a, a cousin though who does mm. also know, and she's mm. all about it. Um, nice. She she loves that I'm Savannah, and has mm. has that part. But also she's like mm. loves the community as well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's all about like what you bring to the table is what you love. Mm -hmm. um, also helps sometimes knowing somebody like me. So <clears throat> identifying as dual gender, you know, a question I'm sure that a lot of people ask is, why not just be identify as a man but also have feminine qualities does that make sense what i'm asking mm -hmm. what like why why the label dual gender as opposed to just being male and having feminine qualities like what what makes you think i that chuck doesn't have feminine qualities <laughs> well that's that, that's what i'm saying though what is the i guess what i'm asking is is what is the need that is fulfilled by you actually becoming savannah for the times that you're there uh, it is hard to describe and quantify. It is just, uh, for instance, if I go too long without dressing, uh, it can affect my mood. It affects my, uh, my positivity. It actually has a mental effect on me by not being able to, which is why having a schedule is so important to me to like, even if I miss it, I know mm -hmm. that was my day and I choose whether to embody my femininity or not. It is mm -hmm. not as simple as either being a girl who's a tomboy or being a man who's a little feminine and likes to cook 
or cries at the movies. It's it's not it's not as cut and dry as that. It's not the stereotypical male or female um, behaviors that we've assigned mm-hmm. to men and women because mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit too. It's mm-hmm. like you're you're asking why can't you just be more feminine as a man? It's like I think every person on this planet has a level of femininity and masculinity to them to their personality. Oh, sure, even if it doesn't show up on a blood test or in your chromosomes, mm-hmm. it's like there is nobody who's like alpha male. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, without mm-hmm. having some quieter, subtler, softer side to them, it's, it's almost nearly impossible to be completely one hundred percent male. And if you were, what would that look like? What would define yeah. the hundred percent male who has no feminine qualities? I think it'd be like a construction worker that's eating his lunch <laughs> on top of like one of those those suspended steel bars and just sitting there catcalling women. I mean, come on, right? Well, that, that could be, <laughs> but I'll do one better because I know people who do, used to do high-rise construction. A lot of them uh-huh. Indians, ah. American, Native American Indians, sure. would uh, they were flocking to jobs like that because they wanted to be closer to God and closer to nature and be in the air. And that's very spiritual. And that's you wouldn't say that necessarily like that sounds like a masculine quality, this spiritual sure. nature about how they see life. Sure. So. Yeah, it, it is. It is uh, a trap. It is yeah. a trap to say, "Well, why can't you just be male or female?" Because we all have male and female in us, and that's regardless of how yeah. we show up in the world biologically. Um, but for me, like going back to the point, it is hard to quantify, but it is important for me to be. Mm-hmm. And I've come to accept that Savannah is an integral part of my life. The conversation you and I are having, other than me being a little more, you know, this with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and being looking this pretty, um, <laughs> you would get the same person. This right. you would have the same conversation with Chuck. Maybe yeah. about something completely different, but you still have the same intelligence, the same empathy. That's the femininity I'm bringing to the world as my male self. Well, and that's what that's what's so interesting is that you seem to me, uh, just in talking to you. I mean, people have different kind of vibes. You know what I mean? And you just have a very positive, happy vibe. And it seems like that, you know, um, I got to think that, you know, like there's this discussion I've seen in psychology and stuff, particularly with transgenderism. There's a question or the controversy, quote unquote, on whether or not, in fact, I mean, I I may screw this up, but like, you know, there's a there's a disproportionate amount of transgender people who suffer from depression and that the idea would be, well, allowing them to transition and changing the culture would help that and then some studies have suggested that maybe that isn't the case that it that the people who do transition don't have better outcomes but i'm looking at you and it seems like this is a better outcome for you i mean is that what you've noticed that your your overall uh well-being and mental health is better because you can do this yes absolutely yeah. i absolutely agree with that for me this is a perfect hybrid um mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for somebody like me, it's uh, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a cheat. Because mm-hmm. if it got a little too dicey in South Carolina here in Savannah, I could always put her away. Mm-hmm. And be my heteronormative male white self and nobody mm-hmm. to have anything to say or know about it. Whereas right. somebody who is transitioning or needs to express their life 24-7 in a body not made for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, they suffered from probably depression prior to making the decision of understanding what they needed as a person mm-hmm. to thrive. But the problem in many, so many of those cases is that 
doing this surgery is not magically going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. Because now you've gone from being a male who wants to be female, let's say in this example, mm-hmm. and you're, you're struggling with yourself. You're struggling with your self-esteem. You're depressed. You're, you know, you got uh, suicidal ideation, all these things that are like, because you, you just don't see yourself in a body you are biologically born up into. So you go the other way, you have the surgeries, top, bottom, whatever you think fits for you, go on hormones, you get cosmetic uh, surgery. And then all of a sudden you're you're not happy there because you're now physically and societally ostracized mm-hmm. for being this outlier. Mm-hmm. So you've gone from being happy, from not being happy in your own body to happy in your own body, but you've gone from being socially accepted to socially ostracized. Yeah, and you know, that's a thing that's so interesting about this. And maybe this is just a, a me thing because I, I, I just did a podcast uh, where I answered a question. It was a religious question for a listener. And I had a couple of friends on there and we were talking about this. And I go, you know, I, everybody obviously wants to be liked. And everybody everybody obviously wants to be part of the group and be in. I mean, I think everybody wants to be viewed in a positive light. But in the end, uh, I don't care what people think a lot you know what i mean like when it comes to like for example i i do pro wrestling and some people just don't understand that at all and they don't get it and some people make fun of it but i don't care i like it you know what i mean and now that is nothing like someone who's transgender i'm not trying to say they're the same thing but if if, why why care so much about what everybody else thinks if it makes you happy you know what i mean it's more rhetorical the human the human condition was not designed for happiness. We, <laughs> that's a that's that's actually very <laughs> profound. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. and, it, and I didn't really think about it, and I must be an outlier because, as you said before, I am very content. I'm very positive. My mm-hmm. girlfriend hates how positive I am sometimes. Why like, can't I just be like fuck the world kind of person? I'm like mm-hmm. that's just not how I see the world. Right. Yeah, it's just not me. But you know, if you look at especially in Western culture, Maslow's pyramid where mm-hmm. we, we uh, define our social structure, like we want shelter, we want uh, sustenance, we want community. And then mm-hmm. slowly, 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 we get to the pinnacle of all our needs being met, mm-hmm. and like uh, self-fulfillment, like, yay, I did a good job. And then all of a sudden you, you can go beyond that and be like, I want to self-actuate. Uh-huh. I want to do something beyond myself that's not just required, but for me. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine trying to do that when you have no bearings you have no community you have no no love and support from family and friends and you're trying to self-actuate outside of that uh, Mm -hmm. all by yourself you you it's hard to do so the human condition is not is meant for survival not Mm -hmm. for happiness Mm -hmm. so happiness is not typically our normal state but Mm -hmm. um i found for me that like you said when you stop caring when you stop giving as many f's as you used to <laughs> you start seeing like what makes you happy it's like yeah. i'm not here to to make your life fulfilled other than your family obviously the people are close to you, sure uh in doing that for them as a gift and gratitude but when you're doing it for yourself and you're so busy making everybody else happy and uh not making waves and compromising yourself versus making a compromise that's when you find that like you're not fulfilled yeah, you know, that's actually true. I tend to have a tendency uh, and have worked through this where I I derive happiness 
by making everybody around me happy, like my kids. I, you know, I love Christmas because I love getting them gifts and watching them get so excited and all these things. But the problem with that is, is it's just a fool's errand to make everybody happy all the time. If you're only going to be happy by making everybody else happy, there's always going to be somebody unhappy about something and you're just not going to get that. And, and so, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of a push pull. And I think that sometimes I've thought about this a lot. You know, I went on a mission for my church and there used to always be a thing we give it, they give us, which I think is a good concept. It says, I am third, meaning God, everybody else, and then you, like you're serving other people. And I kind of took that with me. I, you know, I was 19 to 21, very impressionable. And I took that and I applied it into my life. And then, but when you're doing that all the time, but nobody's getting you, <laughs> you, you just kind of, at some point you're like, uh, when's my happiness start? You know right. what I mean? It's, it's like when you have those 10 people who are all giving each other back rubs. Yeah. Or like shoulder rubs, and, but you're the one in the back and nobody's giving you a back rub. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey, when, when's it my turn? I thought yeah. it come full circle, you know? Yeah. Um, it's very true. I've I've lived a long time making my partners happy uh, above my own happiness, uh, making sure that their needs were met. And, and, I, and just like general emotional needs. Like, oh, let me, let me not be me because being me causes you grief so let me stop yeah. being me and there's that's a fine line it's one thing to say i got friends who know i wrestle and they think it's stupid and they're like i don't understand why you do that it's like well i mean that's that's just their own opinion about what they think of wrestling because i love yeah. wrestling don't get me oh wrong. great awesome. saturday night made yeah. then when it took over <laughs> from saturday night live but i was yeah. Like, yeah um yeah. but when you stop being I mean, that was just their opinion about you right yeah but if you stop if you stop being you, like mm. whole, wholly stop being who you are as a person to mm. satisfy somebody else's um, opinion about how they see you, because yeah. seeing you for the person you are makes them unhappy. That is mm. that is a very bad dynamic to have to try to to wade through. And yeah. I'm kind of done doing that. I mean, again, you asked me before about, you know, my spouse and we, you know, we push pull we give we take we compromise we boundary we go through therapy we try to be better but we're all trying to be better yeah we're all in the same path moving forward versus me sitting there sitting in a side eye and like worrying that like oh she doesn't like what i'm doing therefore i should stop doing what i'm doing so she'll be happy yeah yeah that that makes sense you know i think one of the things i think that makes people well there's a there's a couple of things that i think is that makes this this uh, cultural change that's going on so interesting, it's been so fast. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you the, the LGBTQ uh, community has done what I think the black community has wanted to do for 60 or 70 years in 15. I mean, it was 2008 uh, when California, one of the most liberal states in the union, overwhelmingly passed Prop 8. And both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, the Democratic primary candidates, both endorsed traditional marriage. And then from there, we've gone from basically, I would say, general acceptance of same-gender marriage to now transgenderism is is uh, a talking point. And so is, you know, and so are all of these other things, pronouns, bathrooms, like all of these things have changed in such a quick time. And it, it's made, I think, people who are who tend to be 
very conservative, particularly, and even even people who aren't. I mean, people who would who I think would say they're Democrats and things, really uncomfortable with the speed, you know, and uh, not to say that's a bad thing. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, I, I can understand that if you if you want equal rights, you don't want them slowly. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but but here's the thing that I I know a lot of people are going to ask, and I want to ask you this. So, why not? It seems as though if somebody wants to have this conversation, often they are. Uh, they are heralded, there's a lot of name calling that gets thrown out, right? What do you say, I, I, and the reason I ask this is because I think that there's a lot of people who would love, you seem like a very open person and somebody I would totally be comfortable asking questions to, but I know there's a lot of people out there who are afraid for fear of being, I don't know, canceled or labeled homophobic or transphobic or all of these things. Why do you think that that is? Why is it that if, you, it seems as though that sometimes if you voice the least bit of resistance to acceptance of all of these things, uh, you, you kind of get shouted down, Do, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, that is it. I mean, wokeness and cancel culture are rampant right now. Um, wokeness was originally a black, uh, African-American term used to basically talk about, equality and talk about you know how we all should be on the same uh, level field um and you know equality for all that's what wokeness is it's just understanding mm -hmm. that everybody should have the same rights right yeah. unfortunately now woke has become a, a campaign slur of like i'm mm -hmm. you know desantis i'm the anti-woke you know state yeah. it's like right. it, and like it's it's just it's weaponizing the words Mm -hmm. uh, either left and right. Don't get me wrong. It's not purely yeah. a right thing. It's left and right. It's extreme left and right for weaponizing words, weaponizing situations um, that put so much fear and fear mongering into back into the societal norm. And so yeah. you're talking about like the speed in which things are progressing is in uh, counterposed by the speed of the hundreds of bills in committee and being mm. passed into law at the state level to ban, you know, bathroom use <clears throat> if it's not your biology. Or yeah. now I hear, and again, I didn't read the article too deep, but like they even in Florida, uh, educators can't use a bathroom that they identify with and they can't use pronouns in the classroom. And all these things are about shackling. It's yeah. not about freedom anymore. It's not about freedom of expression. It's about shackling this 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 minority or this group of people and i think it's all because because of the speed it's become very very important for the ultra conservatives and i'm gonna dare say the christian nationalists mm -hmm. uh, without getting too political because there's a there's a foothold issue happening in this country mm -hmm. where um they said that uh within the next 20 years as Gen Y stops going to organized churches, that you're going to see a kind of a collapse of organized religion in many mm. ways in this country. Um, and also in the same census point, they said we probably should wait for the 2030 census, but that the the average white American will no longer be the majority of the 
uh, ethnicity in this country. So there's a lot of fear about losing power bases, about change, because, mm -hmm. you know, as humans, we hate change. We do. I mean, that's... I don't even like to go to school, uh, go to work on Monday, because that's change from the weekend. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, right? That's the thing is that this change is happening so rapidly. And in that's the, you know, that that I think is the, the thing that that's, so many people struggle with is that it's happening so quickly. Uh, every, it seems like every, there's a new term coming out every, you know, every little while that you, you I mean, like, like you said earlier, you're like, I just got used to transgender and now there's pansexual and now there's this and there's that. And you just sit there and you're like, how do you handle all of it? And I think, you know, this is something my views have definitely evolved over the last 15, 20 years on this as everybody's has. But keeping up can be really can be really a struggle. I mean, it, you're, you you as somebody as a member of the community have been constantly evolving who you are, and we all have to evolve as well. And I think that that's I think that's a good it, that could be a good thing. Well, here's the thing: the way you think and the way I think is not the typical mm -hmm. um, meaning. You're talking about like, I know there's words out there that I probably should look into and know what it means mm -hmm. uh, because you're interested. You That's the entire premise of your show. Right. I'm interested in asking those questions that I think other people may not ask or want to ask or care to ask. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is so many people in this country and around the world have no interest in asking. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they get mired in ignorance for the level of worldview that they're comfortable with. Now, when yeah. I say ignorance, I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm talking about if you don't need to learn something outside of what's in your worldview and in your perception, then you're never going to want to learn those terms because it's outside of you. Until yeah. all of a sudden you find out what my nephew is gay or, oh, my God, my niece is transgender. All of a sudden, and like, and you love that child as, yeah. as a, a, a sympathetic and empathetic human being. You right. might actually say, oh, my God, I need to learn about this all of a sudden. And then your worldview will change based on the direct exposure you have to it. The problem yeah. is I deal with ignorance on a daily basis. I'm sure. But, but yet, as I said earlier, I've been met by lovely people here in South Carolina. I've been met by people who want to ask me questions, who want to get to know me, even if they think I'm a novelty. <laughs> I can always feel good about their takeaway that they met somebody like me had a real conversation and whether or not they changed their mind about me is not the point. The point is that they yeah. made a human connection and they can go from that and say, Hey, Hey Marge, you know, I met this trans person over Starbucks <laughs> today and it'll just open up a conversation that they met somebody and it wasn't this, this dire consequence encounter where, you know, I was, you know, raping the children and grooming this and, and yeah. story houring that. I mean, it's just like, I'm just a human being like everybody else. And I think people get so much fear about what they don't know and don't care to really know outside the comfort of their living. That And that's where shows like this come into play where you can have, they can listen and say, oh, well, I didn't know that. It's like, I may not agree with it, but I now know something different I didn't know before. Right. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that uh, is exactly kind of my point in talking about the shouting down because I, I thought about this a while back because let's say let's say that there is a question that's given and it's rooted in transphobia it truly is because people are afraid of what they don't know 
right? Well, let's use a different phobia, like agoraphobia. You know, the fear of the... I think that's the fear of the sun, right? Agoraphobia. Or, or fear of... I don't know I exactly what it is. fear of going outside your house or something? Yeah, going outside because of yeah. the sun or something like that. So, well, you don't... You, you know, if someone's agoraphobic, the way to fix that is not to shout them down and make them feel stupid for being agoraphobic. It's exposing them and talking with them and exposing them to the things they're afraid of. And eventually that fear, in theory, not always, but it, it can go away. And I think that a lot of the, if there are people who truly are transphobic or homophobic, exposure to those people to realize that they're just very, and that's part of why I wanted to have you on is so that people could come and see you're a regular person. You just happen to have, you know, a different lifestyle and that's okay, you know? And, and now, now here's a question I did want to ask you uh, about this. I know that a lot of my conservative friends would probably ask this question if they had the shot. And that is, is there, is there a line where like, is there a line, is there kind of a, a line where you go, okay, this is enough. You know what I mean? Like, because, like, let me give you an example why. There's some sort of extremes out there that people compare transgenderism to. For example, like, you've heard of the furry people, right? The people who, like, identify as cats. Or I don't know what you call them, but I know there's a group of people out there who really feel as though they should have been an amputee. And so... Yep, I've heard of that too. So... And, and I think that most people would still say there's a line there where we're not going to accept some of that, right? But it, I guess what my question was is, is there a line when it comes to gender where you go, okay, we're or, or even sexuality or anything where you go, hey, like societally, we're not going to accept that? Oh... Oh, you've opened up Pandora's box. Okay, let me see if I can answer all the questions. Yeah. Um, first of all, nobody should be telling you how to love who to love. Mm -hmm. Just simple as that. I mean, I don't think mm -hmm. that needs any more explanations. Like, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what any parchment says. I don't know what any laws have been on books since 1820 say. It's like, mm -hmm. I have every right to love the person I want to love. There should be no restriction mm -hmm. to that, which is why gay marriage finally became a thing, which they're trying mm -hmm. to battle that now. To like mm -hmm. get that like outlawed again you know people should be able to love who they want to love you're not hurting anybody you're not hurting each other why is it your business to to basically felonize me for loving somebody from my heart so that's all i'm gonna say about that yeah well let, uh, me, let me before you go on to the next yeah. thing let me let me kind of ask you about that because the reason this is my lawyer brain that pops up right okay. Because I sit there and I think, okay, but societally, though, we have put limits on who you can love, right? Like, for example, there's statutory rape laws, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, you, you know, uh, and I think they've changed a little bit now where, like, you know, there's these Romeo and Juliet things where, you know, it depends on the um, amount of age difference. But yeah. Yeah. for an example, like a 20-year-old guy and a 16-year-old girl they can't have a sexual relationship in some states right. because they've determined that that is there's a there's a line and and it seems to me that a lot of the arguments or the things that people are pushing back on is that there are some people who have a very conservative line on this and mm -hmm. some people have a very progressive line on this but but my my question is 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 there a like 
is there a line where we go, okay, that is never, like, I think everybody would agree that even if somebody said, you know, well, pedophilia is a sexual whatever, everyone says that's not, that's not okay, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and for good reason. But I mean, so I don't think anyone's going to say that that's comparative at all. But it, but is there a line before that where we're like, <laughs> the line before this the is, line? Yeah, is there, is there, I'm just trying to see, like, well, first of all, let, let me just try to, let me answer real quick. First yeah. of all, every state's got different laws, right? Yeah, that's that's true. one problem. So whoever was in power when a law was passed defined the age, defined the uh, disparity between the ages. Like if it's a 16 and a 17 year old, well, I mean, in reality, it's statutory, but they're both minor. So then that doesn't mean as much as if it was a 25 year old and a 15 year old. I, when I'm talking about loving who you love, I was not talking about like non-consensual age. Oh, and, and I that, and I never that and is, I that's a dicey line to like yeah, layer it into. And I want to make it clear, I was never suggesting that. Yeah, yeah, you know, right, yeah. You're right. The line is blurry because the line has no base <coughs> of mm-hmm. consensus. Yeah. Even in this country, if you went to every state of the union and you looked up the statutory rape laws of and what's consenting adult means, they none, none of them could be the same. Just like yeah, every state true. who's doing uh, anti-abortion laws or rolling them back out, uh, you know, it was like, well, it's six weeks or it's 26 weeks or it's as soon as you conceive it. Now you can't have an abortion because you, you put a seed in some woman and her egg is implanted. I mean, it's there's no guide fast. A lot of it is is religion based because there's laws that say you can't do one thing, but yet you can marry somebody when they're 14. I mean, yeah. there's such a topsy turvy like whatever crazy rule sets people want to do in that moment, like is so counter to what a lot of the other things that have already been written in law. Mean. Sure. So yeah, you as a lawyer probably could chew on that for months. Oh, I could. Uh, and me, I'm I like, could. dude, just I'm glad I'm 52. That's <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, but that's what I'm saying is that philosophically, you know, because we are look what what we're what what the LGBTQ community is really asking us to do is completely change. A, a part of culture that has kind of been accepted for thousands of years in different forms. Thousands of years. Well, I think thousands so. I mean, I, I th- well, I, I think what I mean by let, let's say let's say Western civilization okay. has kind of has kind of accepted the the what do you call it? Like there's there's men and women Ooh. for for a while, right? Ooh. Interesting, because uh, Roman Empire. Men and men were really the norm for sexuality, and women were just there to procreate. So, you know, really, thousands. Oh, yeah. It's like you look look back to Greek and Roman times, the birthplace of democracy and philosophy. So, you look at those as like men. the The idea of men and women, and men and men, and men and boys was completely different than what it is now. So, even within thousands of years, rules have changed. I mean, our forefathers were wearing powdered wigs frilly tops, satin jackets, and high heel shoes. Seemed, yet seemed not to... somehow the person that's a problem here in the modern era. <laughs> that's a that's a good point. That's a very good point. No, I but but no, you know, thinking about that though, that's something I have heard. I have not done a lot of research on it. Uh, so I, I'm not saying this is I believe this, but I've heard the argument. Yeah, like the Romans and things like that. There's been an argument that says, yeah, but that tends to be what happens at the end of civilization, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, really, like the Roman Empire kind of falls. I don't know if that's true. I've just heard it. Well, so, you've heard it here first. I am the end of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Well, here's the thing that I think is so interesting is I think that progress is important. And I think it's really, I, I've, I, there's this push-pull for me because I am religious, right? And, and I sit there and I think to myself, I go, you know, why do I, there's a lot of this, I, I'm, I do a lot of philosophy. I'm like, why, but why are, is it only women that wear dresses? That's just like a social thing, right? I mean, who came up with that idea? And why do men, why do I have to, I've asked this all the time, why do I have to wear a suit Yes. To, to court. <laughs> I hate it. You yeah, know what I mean? Why like, you wear a graphic tee with a blazer like, you know, Steve Jobs I, it up in I, there? I'm, I'm telling you what, at the very least, my la- if I know I'm retiring, my last my last court appearance, I'm going to be I'm gonna be wearing Angus Young schoolboy nice. you know, shorts because I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, but um, no, I think this is an, but I think this is an interesting conversation to have because I, I, you know, is there a place where it is okay for people to say we're not okay with that? Okay, and I just I don't know well, where it is. Here's what I'm gonna say. I mean, because we're talking about those lines, and we're talking about when is enough enough. Um, the problem in today, as I mentioned, with the I think over 600 bills in committee being put into law in a lot of red states and even some blue states. What is it? It's doing. It's not a protection of freedoms. It's actually mm-hmm. um, banning minorities from doing something. Now, yeah, and I don't, I don't so think that's okay. And I don't think, and, and I don't think that's okay. I think no, that and, that's, and that's the problem. The problem is like you're. I don't think anybody who's just midstream, middle of the road, moderate person like myself, I don't want anything more than everybody else has. Mm-hmm. Civil unions, fantastic. We should have that. If you want to call it marriage, awesome. Um, I mean, I'm married to a girl, so it really doesn't affect me. <laughs> healthcare, right. proper healthcare. The government should not be telling me you can't do this, even though 15 doctors said it's the best course of action. There should mm-hmm. not be barriers to that. Um, there should not be barriers to living my life as a human being. There, we should have equality for all. Everybody should have the same rights. The I, problem I, is a lot of these anti-bills are anti they're like we need to keep you down into where you are because we're afraid you're going to rise up so that's actually something that i i don't as somebody who i would say if i was going to put myself on the political spectrum i would say i'm probably moderately conservative but the conservative part of me is limited government and i don't understand if you are a conservative why you would support some of these bills yes. that that are are limiting freedoms for people yes. i think it's i think and here's what i would also tell you from my there's there's just as there is a caricature caricature view of people of the lgbtq community i also think there is a very much a caricature view of some of the religious people, I, at least the ones I know, because I don't think I don't think there's anyone out there who is actively like I, or at least feels as though they really do not like the LGBTQ community. Right. If you I, do I, a poll, if you do a poll right now of like the average American, whether whether about abortion, about queer people, about whatever, most people are not in alignment with the the, the trend of laws trying to be passed. Yeah, right. And uh, and that's a thing is that I don't I don't uh, I don't think that they they are concerned necessarily about what 
adult humans are doing at least the ones i know they're always like you know what if they if that's what they need to do to make themselves happy and they and they feel transitioning is better or doing the you know dual gender is better for them all support all, all they're all for it i think where they get concerned is like here in california where it's kind of starting to trickle down into the kids and the question becomes so and this is a question i don't really know the answer to again putting my lawyer brain on like so if you have a 14 year old like i have a 14 and a 12 year old da daughters right and if one of them i don't know what i would do candidly if one of them came to me and said dad i think i i feel as though i i'm a man and i want to go on you know the uh, what do you call i don't know what you call them i can't remember what you call them but the the, med the medication yeah the puberty blockers right so I don't. I really don't know how I would handle that. I, I would like to think that I. <coughs> I would like to think that I would go. Okay, let's go talk to your doctor about this, cool. and let's go talk to a therapist, therapist about this, yeah. and let's and let's go. You know, I want to be a part of the conversation, and and be comfortable with it too. The concern as well as a child being comfortable, right? Not just reactive, Again, right? And this goes back to the point of like, let's say you did all that. Let's mm -hmm. say your child came to you and said, "I feel like I'm in the wrong body." You went to three doctors, four therapists, everybody's in alignment with agreement with a course of action. And then all of a sudden the government says, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that in this state because it's illegal. No, and, and, I, and I understand what you're saying there, especially if a 14 year old can go get a nose job. I don't you know what I mean? I don't understand. But but my but I think my point is and what the concern is, is I know that there are some places like I, I've heard of of places where you know um, it, a, a child can. I don't think this is not in California, but a child can go and and transition without a parent knowing. And and I just for me again, my lawyer brain. I sit there and I think to myself, okay, so like I can't represent. So so a a a if a child gets in a car accident as a personal injury attorney, I have to have their parent come in and sign the contract because we don't feel like that. And, and also, again, my 14-year-old can't engage in a sexual relationship with the 20-year-old. Why? Because we don't, we call it statutory rape because we don't believe that they can form the requisite consent to actually have a sexual relationship with someone who's in their 20s. But we feel like they can, re they can consent to changing their gender without without parental consent. That's where I think the concern is. Yeah, but so, is that truth? Is that can some can can a child do that right now in, in so, the states? So I, I don't know about any of the states. I know in California they cannot. Okay. So 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 but but that's the concern. And that's why I think I wanted to ask you about the the where's the line? Because the arguments are always and I hate them, but they're always they're always the slippery slope arguments. The problem is, is that a lot of the time with these arguments, the slippery slope sounds a little valid because like, I'll give you, oh, let's go back to Prop 8. In Prop 8 in 2008, the argument that was, that was there was that if we do this, then they're going to start teaching your kids that all this stuff is okay and all these things. And then everyone was like, that's just fear mongering. That's not going to happen. Well, now it's 15 years later and it has, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so then it gives fodder to these, these arguments that I think are completely invalid where they're like, oh, well, then I guess, you know, people can just identify as sheep, you know, and, 
And, that, and nobody's doing that. You know what I mean? It, it, it well, the slippery slope. So uh, I think that's where the concern is. Where, where do you, I know you're just talking for yourself. You don't claim for the community, but how do you how do you feel about that? Like the 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 idea of kids transitioning. Because how old were you in '96? Twenty-five. Okay, so you're a little bit older. I, I, the reason I bring this up is because I, I talked to, I've had a few people on who they felt they were transgendered way early, you know, early in their teens, and it's like, how do you, how do you handle? I, yeah, but I, I knew when I was five. Right. But it right. wasn't about transitioning. It was about this, this attraction to something. So yeah. There was a lot of experimentation. Nothing. None of it was. I mean, I wasn't speaking to my parents about it because I worried for my safety and or my, uh, you know, being loved. So yeah. there, there's several layers to this. The first layer is, should a child of underage, whether 16 is a cutoff or 14 or whatever, um, should they be doing gender reassignment without parental consent? I'd say no. Yeah. Because I feel there is a... The problem, there's two problems. One, what if your parents are completely anti-queer mm. and now they throw you in conversion therapy? Oh, they that's trying a good point. to stop your path of your truth because mm. they're afraid of what it might lead to, the slippery slope. Yeah. Now, conversely, if your parents are loving and supportive and they do what we had talked about, where it's like, all right, we're going to go see two doctors and get opinions. We're going to talk to um, you know, a couple of therapists and sit down for a year or more and suss out like if this is truth for you or if this is just you heard it on the news therefore you were open to it mm -hmm. um same same problem with drag queen story hour just because kids are exposed to a drag queen telling the story all of a sudden it ends up being oh my god they're infecting my kids or i'm going to want to be gay and trans mm -hmm. which is not the truth the problem you talk about a slippery slope the problem is all the slippery slopes are all based in fear yeah, it's true. And, yeah. the, and the problem is if we have a real conversation about mm -hmm. what is the practicality of a child of age X mm -hmm. who is going through something, if, what is the process? The process should be like, you know, even when I was coming up in the 90s, uh, early 90s, early 2000s, it was you have to live like to transition. You'd have to live as, in the opposite sex or the opposite gender for a year hmm. like full-time 24 7 for a year go to therapy before anybody would ever sign off on surgery yeah now, I, that I remember was what that. it was 25 30 years ago which i was very much like i probably would have needed that if i was so pink fogged about like i want tits and i want to get rid of my penis and i want to do this and that and the other thing and live this full-time and then like you said your one friend who de did detransition because yeah. that wasn't the answer. So really for me, it's about the thoughtfulness and the empathy for both the child or the person in this case, whether adult or child, and just have a, a very, not regimented, but a very specific set of things that should be done in order for surgery to be performed. And I'm gonna just ask one more thing because I don't know the answer, but I have not been able to do a Google search to find out how many kids have been uh, you know, mangled and mutilated at the age of 12, you show me cases, you show me when that's happened because I've never come across as being an actual thing. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is that I, 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 I don't think it is. 
the, these worries, right, you're very much right. These are anxieties about things that haven't happened yet. But because of the speed of how this is going, I think people are more worried about it. I just, I can only say here for people I've talked to here in California is that people are very concerned about, you know, kids. And I, I think that you're you're right. I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know how I would handle it. I'd like to think I would handle it in a compassionate way. Uh, and I'm just being completely honest with myself. You know, I, it, uh, I, I think I, I would... I, I think I would. Uh, I just I don't know, and I and I can't imagine what that's gotta be like. You might, by the way, you mentioned you were in the '90s. What crossed my mind? You might appreciate this. Uh, I just took my son to see the Smashing Pumpkins on Monday, and, <laughs> and and I was I love that. My son, he's is a completely off topic, but I love that. My son is a guitar player and a singer. He does choir, and. Uh, and he does all these other things and you know musically and it was just so cool to go and see a band from my generation you know and him really enjoy and have songs that he wants to hear him play and be mad that they didn't play a certain song that he was waiting for <laughs> you know he's really into that green day we went and saw green day together you know he he's them and guns and roses and all these different bands and it's just it's so cool and part of the thing that's cool about him and being in choir is he is he get, does get exposed to a lot of people who are gay and transgender and things just in the choir community and and things of that nature and i think that's really good you know for him again like my kids are growing up in a way that they didn't have phobias that i probably did have when i was you know 16 yeah and so i think Fair. that i think that that's a good thing now um another thing i wanted to just to talk a little bit more about things you like uh <laughs> You, you are big into the MCU. I am. Marvel Cinematic Universe for anybody who doesn't. <laughs> so do you have a favorite one? What's your favorite movie? Man, it's hard because uh, I knew going in when I saw Iron Man, the first Iron mm. Man, when oh. Samuel L. Jackson shows up at the end, I was losing my mind. The fact that Iron Man was so well done and Robert Downey Jr. was so like the well epitome of Tony Stark was mind-blowing. Uh, and then things like... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy before it came out, Volume One, where oh, people yeah. are like, "That's gonna be stupid." It's got a tree and a, and a rodent, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh my god, did you not read the Annihilation crossover <laughs> series from Marvel when it came out? This is gonna be epic." And I knew it was gonna be epic, and people were like, "I never heard of these people, so it's gonna be stupid." But yet, Iron Man was a very low tier character for Marvel beyond Spider Man, Fantastic Four, the Avengers as a whole. So I think that it, like up to you know, what are we in phase five now? Phase four? Yeah, I don't um, know. I just know there's been a ton of them. <laughs> there's a ton of them. I mean, even Moon Knight was a favorite character for me. Mm. I was big in the Dave Finch run. Um, so I thought that the presentation of the multiple personalities was done so well on the Disney Plus show. Um, hey, are they all fantastic and epic? No, but I love everyone because it doesn't try to be something more than it is. Yeah. And even if your expectation, like we talked off air, that after Endgame, that that you know Infinity War Endgame combo was such the the crowning jewel of the MCU. It's yeah. hard to like start from scratch again, knowing that happened, and then yeah. be like, okay, now we're going to rebuild to another crescendo. It's yeah. hard to sit there and be, well, nothing's as good as Endgame, you know. Yeah. But you know, I, you know, <laughs> you know what's funny about that is. 
I, I, I told my son, he's really into all the comics and he knows all the stuff. I, I never read the comics. In fact, you bring up Guardians of the Galaxy. I was that guy. I'm like, it's a raccoon in a tree. That's going to be stupid. <laughs> and it ended up being my favorite one. In fact, in the MCU movies, I think the ones that I have gone in with zero expectations tend to be the ones I love the most. And I, I Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Iron Man were the three. Like I had big expectations for Captain America and Thor and it just it it fell a little flat for me because of my because they were so high, right? Like my my expectations were so high. When they when they finally did the Avengers, I it was awesome, yeah. you know, but the first movies. But I think the thing the end game what I thought was so interesting and I told my son was I go, it's very rare when you are watching a movie and you are realizing you are watching the pinnacle of like a cinematic moment like I, the only other one that in my lifetime that i could think of is when you saw when i saw jurassic park for the first time and i realized i was like movies have been changed forever now star wars star wars exactly I saw star wars when i was five years old right that movie i mean we were in the front row our neighbor took me and my sister we uh -huh. got there late which i hate and we were <laughs> in a front the physical front row staring up at the screen like right above us at this weird angle. Uh, right. But it was it, one of those things, one of those moments in cinematic history where you, you're never going to see sci-fi the same way again. It was yeah. so epic and just so well told, even though it's a very simplistic story, uh, yeah. telling narrative. Um, yeah, it, it was just like perfect. And so, yeah, you have these moments. So like you said, Endgame was that pinnacle of like everything coming together when Captain America got, was worthy of carrying Thor's hammer and saying yeah. Avengers assemble. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't need anything else because my life was complete. <laughs> nice. That's that's the thing is that that yeah. I mean, I never to to think about what they did there, where they perfectly executed nineteen movies to culminate yeah. in one giant movie. And and I remember, yeah, I was just like, it's it's changed everything. Now everybody's got a cinematic universe, even Godzilla and King Kong, and yes, yeah. you know what I mean. Like they they they've made these franchises into huge cinematic universes that all fit together. It really it changed everything. Just like like I said, Jurassic Park. I was I was twelve years old when my dad took me to Jurassic Park, and that was the first time they did THX surround sound, and you saw CGI that looked real, yeah. you know, like dinosaurs looked real. And, and I remember thinking, I was like, this has changed everything. And that's the way th this has been. And the MCU is so great, but yeah, ever since Endgame, it feels like there's been a bit of a step down. And I don't know if it's truly that the movies have gotten worse or we're just starting to feel some fatigue from all of them. Or you're just your expectation. You're, you're still riding the end game high. Yeah, no, but that's again, a good Loki, point. Loki was fantastic for me on Disney+. Yeah. Plus. I love mm -hmm. Moon Knight. So I even loved this special presentation of uh, Werewolf by Night. It's mm -hmm. like if everybody brings just their own spin, their own <coughs> take in a way that's honest and truthful to like what the material is, for me, I don't think any film's bad. You might like it more than others, but they're all, to me, quality. Yeah. Um, even if the CG was rushed, blah blah blah. Disney, you know, make people work fifty hours a day. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't answer to that, but I can answer that. Uh, for me, other than I'm watching the Saw series from number one right oh, now. Oh, really? That's part oh. of my other podcast, because yeah. uh, Saw X is coming out this year, so I'm watching them like beginning God. to end. 
Um, I love it. I, lo I love movies in general. I used to do movie reviews. I used to live in oh, New York yeah. City and go into the city to the premieres and sneak peeks. Mm. I'm a huge cinephile. I oh. love movies uh, just because. Uh, so yeah. you, you, like you said before, my positive attitude, I mm. pretty much can see something good in everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Why some of my friends get mad at me because I very rarely find a movie to be terrible. And most of the times when they're terrible, they're terrible like in a good way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it was so, so bad it was good. Yeah. In fact, you mentioned so you're you're a big horror fan. I have to ask you, have you seen Velocipaster? Uh, I heard about it. Oh, and I saw you... a, and I saw a scene of it because somebody brought it up to me like six months ago. I'm like, I gotta write that down. I don't even know what that is. Oh, I saw you... a scene and I thought S it was insane. Savannah, you you have got to see it. I think it's on Amazon. That's where I saw it. And it was funny because I was just, I was alone one night and I was looking through Amazon Prime and I saw Velocipastor and the, and it, and it's, I said Velocipastor and it said a pastor who turns into a dinosaur and fights crime. And I said, clearly I have to watch this. And, and, and I got to tell you, it does not disappoint. In fact, I have been trying since the inception of this podcast to get the director of Velocipastor on, and he has eluded me. I have gotten Sean Kanan from Cobra Kai. I have gotten Sean Weiss from Magol of Mighty Ducks. I've had uh, Stephen Kyoto on, who did Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I can't get the director from Velocipastor. <laughs> I was like, come on, maybe, man. Maybe he's too busy on the script for part two. He is. He's doing a part two. And I. And that's why I wanted him on. I want to talk about it. And I want to be like, you, sir, are a genius for putting this together. And and I just, it. I. so tell me, horror films, what are your yes. favorite? What are your favorites? Uh, depends on the subgenre of horror, but Exorcist is always going to be tops. Have you seen Have you seen that new? There's a new Exorcist coming there's out. There's a new one series coming out or new movie coming out, a new beginning. I, I haven't I seen it yet. I think it's connected. It, I believe not, it is. I believe the mother is the same. I haven't. I'll, uh, I'll pay more attention to it when it gets closer. Um, the A24 films are fantastic. I've never um, heard of those. A24. The, that's the the pub, It's like Bloomhouse. Okay. Um, it, it's it's like uh, you know they they do a series of films like Pearl, um, mm. X. Um, mm. You know, then you got uh, Jordan Peele movies, which oh, are fantastic. Yeah. But if you want to talk about favorite favorites, it's going to be. Um, uh, kind of edge toward sci-fi, so Dark covers the thing. It's going to be mm. Alien. It's mm. going to be um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's going to be the oh, Halloween. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the original Night of the Living Dead and pretty much every Romero film after that. That yeah. And, and Schneider's um, uh, remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm. Uh, Black Summer on Netflix was fantastic mm. if you're into that. So, yeah, I, so, I love everything. It's like there's so, just so much to gobble up. So you did you appreciate the Sam Raimi Doctor Strange? I did, and all the, and all the Evil Dead reference. It, I did, and, and obviously Bruce Campbell. I mean, yeah, Bruce uh, Campbell's Dead, awesome. Evil, Evil Dead Rise was uh, also awesome. Uh, oh, see, I never saw that. Yeah, that was pretty good. It's a complete departure, but very well done. Yeah. Um, and creepy as hell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sam Raimi. I was hoping he would make it even more creepy. Uh, yeah. Doctor Strange. I actually that that's one thing I I like about the MCU. Some of the things I like, I tend to like the movies. I I had this conversation. I used to do a podcast. Uh, I technically still do, but we haven't done it for a long time. Called Saints on Cinema, where we it was two Mormon guys talking about movies, and we we talked about um, 
you know, Ragnarok really kind of changed like the tenor of all the MCUs. Yeah. Because it, it felt to me when Ragnarok came out that they saw Guardians of the Galaxy was so successful. They're like, let's make Thor a little bit more like that. And then that was really successful. And now everybody's like that. Like they're all yeah. kind of have this plucky kind yeah, of gritty DC humor. DC had a like pivot to try to make it their, you know, I liked it when DC was dark and gritty. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't need it to be uh Marvel wannabe, like junky right. and light and airy and vibrant colors. I wanted it to be dark, gritty, and just just well, like the what, DC universe is supposed to be like. Right. Well well the thing is though, is that the thing I liked about um that Doctor Strange, the multiverse movie was was that it felt so different than all of the others. Yeah. And and that was what I thought like that that's what was the appeal because before Ragnarok Thor had his very his movies had its very own feel and Captain America had its very own feel you know India uh, Iron Man had its very own feel and now they all kind of feel the same you know and so that that one was different but man those evil oh, but back to the horror the Evil Dead movies I just they are my favorite I. Uh, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. I've shown my kids edited versions of those movies. <laughs> and the edited versions, there's this thing, this app called uh, VidAngel you can get where you can oh, you can okay. choose you can choose what you want out of it. So I didn't I didn't oh, get any of the blood out of it, just the cussing and the part where the you know the tree assaults the girl. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know. Um but uh and they they love my boys loved it. My girls were disgusted, but my my book. <laughs> As well, and that's good raising raising on your part that they find disgusting. I will tell you, I saw Evil Dead the musical twice. Oh, I, I'm going to see it. In, I'm going to see it in October. That, it's, my I don't know. I saw mine like 20 years ago, but it was fantastic. Um, this series, uh, Ashford's Evil Dead on Stars, okay. catch it if you haven't. I have. And then a new Evil Dead Rise is fantastic, and even the remake they did where Ash was a girl. I can't remember her name. Um, but that one I thought was fantastic too. So. Interesting. Wow. And the, the 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 one problem I do have uh, showing my kids movies horror movies from my generation is that when you go back and you show them the animation, the CG, like the 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 way they did it, like Nightmare on Elm Street. If you show it to a kid today, they're like this was scary to you. This is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And, and I go, you don't understand though. This is all we had. We didn't have CGI back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this was, this was scary to us. And I, I showed him nightmare on Elm street. And my son was like, this is, this is pretty bad. This is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do like the remake of, um, uh, what's the, the one, the, the Pennywise, uh, it, it. Yeah. Oh, that was good too. That was good. And now they're doing a welcome to dairy. Uh, prequel. Oh, are they really? Uh, the origin of Pennywise, or you know, oh, I don't interesting. Know if Pennywise was a teenager. I don't know how that works. Uh, they're doing a Welcome to Dairy uh, a show or series. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, uh, tell me, as far as like music and stuff, what are you into for for music? Is I haven't listened to like real music in forever. I'm I'm <laughs> always by podcasts. Every time I'm in cards, oh. podcast or an audio book from Stephen King, um, I listen to tons of podcasts. Uh, Sia is one of my favorites. Um, okay. I like that. I like the uh, Greatest Showman soundtrack that always makes uh, me cry. Um, but yeah, uh, in all honesty, people have asked me that before, but I've I'm, I'm always been pop. I've always been classic rock, hard rock. Again, mm. in 80s, 90s, big hair bands. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Pa- uh, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, Greendale is into that. Uh, Eve 6, um, uh, Three Doors Down. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, all, yeah, it just yeah, pretty I much I, f- like everything that was kind of uh, main or off the main path um, when yeah. it came to music. I'm uh, I'm in a, in a couple of weeks. I'm taking my two boys to see Metallica down in LA, <laughs> and I've seen them. This will be my I think my twelfth and thirteenth time seeing them. Nice. They are they are unbelievable live, unbelievable. And I mean it's it's shocking how even in their I think they're in their sixties at this point, they're still putting out music and it's not bad. You know you you know like Smashing Pumpkins. I gotta say. You know, I, I loved them, but I po- post Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, I just, I stopped listening and I, it got too gothic. And so, so they, you know, this is what they do, right? They get up there and they play their new stuff and then they occasionally play some old stuff and then they play. And it's just like all the new stuff. I'm like, oh, just, will you please play Chair Brock? You know what I mean? Just play something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Play something that we've all heard. But Metallica, they keep putting out music that if you're a Metallica fan, you love. Yeah. You know, and it's just and so I'm excited to take my kids uh, to see them, and so that's that's going to be fun too. So, so what's next for Savannah Hawk? Well, Savannah Hawk is doing a weekly podcast of her own with the co-host Julie Rubenstein. Uh-huh. Um, so we put that out every week. I'm always you know tinkering around the post production on that. I'm still doing the Chuck does the. Uh, horror podcast, talk horror to me, and live stream. Mm-hmm. Also using StreamYard every nice. uh, Sunday night at seven. Um, I have two books. Savannah's working on two books right now. One is a, mm. a sci-fi dystopian coming of age queer mm. young adult book, as well as the third book in the Living with Crossdressing series, which is mm. going to talk all about gender and sexuality and the forty-seven different labels of what gender is and what <laughs> that means and how do you describe it for yourself. So that's mm. in the works this year. Um, and then, you know, just trying to, you know, connect with people like you as well. Um, just get the word out and try to meet yeah. people and, and just live in my life and, you yeah. know, paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And th- let me ask you, this just came to my my thought. You know, there, there might be, well, there's maybe two questions. One, there might be a kid out there, um, and I say this because I know that some of my, my kids – friends listen to this podcast trying to find information about my kids <laughs> but but there might be a kid out there who listens to this and they're struggling with their identity gender mm-hmm. sexuality something of that yeah. uh and even they might be someone like a sunny smith who is struggling with like his, his thing was he's struggling with his gender identity and also trying to square that with his spiritual identity because he he part of his identity is he's Mormon, mm-hmm. and you know that uh, the doing that ha, transitioning and his religious identity kind of conflicted for him. Yeah, yeah. What what would you recommend or how what would you say to a, a, a kid who is going through this this type of issue with their identity? Uh, I'll say a couple things. One, um, I had somebody approach me in a conference that I led who is Jewish, mm. like Orthodox Jewish, also very similar problems spiritually about how do you reconcile uh, dual genderness with their religion and their faith. Yeah. So that is definitely not Mormon specific. It's definitely across a lot of boards. I was mm. on the airplane in 30,000 feet sitting next to a Baptist missionary 
And we discussed Deuteronomy 22.5 and why that one sentence in the Bible means I can't dress this way because I'm an abomination to God. Um, mm. I don't cotton to that, so here I am. Um, to anybody listening, whether it's a child, young adult, adult, for me, you know, like how I came to it is, and again, thank God for the internet uh, these mm -hmm. days because I did not have that growing up. So if you can't find somebody you can speak to, um, mm -hmm. You know, looking online, finding local communities, finding a P flag. Um, there, in many states, there are at-school um, programs that can help you yeah. find people to talk to, like yourself. Um, and again, when I say like yourself, you're still trying to find somebody like yourself to sure. talk to. So, I, as I said earlier, it's all about like listen to every story, mm. listen to every story, everything you find online. Well, bring it, bring the truth. Don't take everything <laughs> online. Uh, right. You know, look at the source material. Make sure it's not an op-ed. Make sure it's got, you know, real grit to its validity. So please mm -hmm. do that when you do anything online. But find people, find their stories, listen to the stories, and find what resonates for you. Do reading. Read books. Yeah. There's books out there. Read. Like, be mm -hmm. voracious in, like, getting information so that you can be smart, that mm -hmm. you can be informed about what is it that you are mm -hmm. because we're talking about gender gender is not sexuality and sexuality is not social and social is not religious these mm -hmm. things are all like different universes that mm -hmm. like just just they interact and intertwine and it's a tapestry but you know we always think that one informs the other but in mm -hmm. reality you have to treat each thing as its own module mm -hmm. and then like see how it fits how does it feel if it's a religious um, conflict where, you know, my pastor or my rabbi or the Bible says X, but I believe in my heart Y, but I'm being told that I'm wrong, but I don't yeah. feel wrong. I feel like a regular person. I love God. It's like mm -hmm. you have to start rationalizing who you are to yourself yeah. and not let – unfortunately, I spent a lot of time assassinating everything I knew mm. so that I could – build myself from the ground up again and mm. do it from a position of my own self-worth mm. and my own self-concept. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. I've spent yeah. decades doing it. I've written books about it and that's helped. Mm. And it, for anybody, I could just say, if you're struggling, know that there are people out there. Um, yeah. Know that you could find people to speak to. Uh, know that you're not alone. Mm. Know that this is not like something that is is again without knowing the situation like if you have a feeling in your heart of like i feel like i'm attracted to x or i feel like i want to dress like y i mean in reality who are you hurting you're not hurting yeah. anybody it's just how you feel yeah. again if there, if you do no harm to yourself and you do no harm to others that's like my premise for trying to find out who you are in your most authentic state yeah, 100%. You know, this religious question, this came up one time. I uh, I used to teach, well, I used to teach a bunch of different classes uh, at various churches, but one uh, one time I was teaching a class called Gospel Essentials, which was basically the, you know, if you get baptized into the church, you know, it's kind of like the basics, you know, class for, for newer members or returning members. And... Uh, someone asked me a question and I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it was along the lines of, Hey, you know, uh, I don't know how I feel about this idea that, 
you know, and this is this is years and years ago, but they were like, you know, uh, gay people going to hell and all this stuff. I don't understand it. And I and and I, my response at the time, and I think it, this is what I would say to anybody who's dealing with that religious situation. Well, you know, God says this or God says that. I said, I, I said to him, I go, listen, here's the thing. Like, first of all, we, we aren't the judge. Thank goodness. Right. God is a perfect judge and God is going to judge you. If he's the perfect judge, I would think I th actually back up. The question had to do with the whole nature versus nurture argument. Well, if, if gay people are born that way, why would God make it a sin? And, you know, and then if, if they weren't, what's, is it a nurture thing? And I said, listen, I don't think it really matters. Okay. He said, because if God put something in somebody to make them that way, I think he's going to take that into account when you get to the judgment bar. And if somebody did something to you to make you that way, I think God's going to take that into account when you get to the judgment bar. I would like to think that God is merciful to everybody given their circumstances. Because at yeah. least I hope, I hope he's, I hope when I get there, he's merciful to my situation. You know, I agree too. I mean, uh, I, I will say I'm more spiritual than organized religious but i agree it's like who are we to judge others the bible says it that he is the final judge he is the one that's going to do the work so don't take it upon yourself because you're a mere mortal well and also and also another thing you know my favorite story in the bible my favorite story is the woman caught in adultery uh i don't know if you if you know the, the story from there so jesus is teaching uh a, a group of people and the pharisees and the sadducees are basically the religious scholars of of the time and they bring this woman who was caught in adultery to him in front of the crowd right and they throw her in front of jesus and they say okay uh they call him rabbi master right and they go uh you you know this woman was caught in adultery caught in the very act so they found they found her having adultery you know being cheating on her husband and said the law says to stone her what do you say and Jesus just kind of wrote it, wrote in the sand for a little while. And then he, uh, and they kept asking and pressing him. And he said, he stood up and he looked at him. He said, let he is without sin, cast the yes, first, first stone, stone at her. That part and, I know. Yeah. And then after that, well, here's the end of the story though. This is what's interesting is that they all left. They all, they, it says that they all came to a, to a realization of their own sins and everybody left. And he was just left there with the woman. And the mm -hmm. woman comes up to him and and he says, where are thine accusers? And they say, there are none that accuse me. And he says, neither do I accuse thee. Go thy way and sin no more. And so when you have these people who are talking about Deuteronomy, which is like thousands of years before Christ came. And if you understand the theology of, of Christianity, Jesus changed all of those rules. It's the reason why we don't you know, we don't celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. Any, Saturday, there's not a requirement for how many steps we can take on the Sabbath. There's no longer certain knots you can't tie on the Sabbath, unless you're Orthodox Jew. Right. You really don't. You know, Christians don't practice any of the old Ju Judish, uh, Jewish uh, uh, Sabbath laws. Yeah. We don't animal sacrifice anymore. What? Oh. Right. I know. Well, I'm, you might. Let me write that you down. Might. I've been doing I mean, you, you are dual gender, so maybe you do. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, abomination. So, yeah. yeah. No, but my point is, is that so, so, so Jesus comes and fulfills the law. We don't do all those things. But this one reference that says you can't cross cross jazz, he didn't. He didn't fulfill that one. That one, that one's still there. And God knows people were all wearing robes back then, so I'm not sure how you, uh, you figure right. out 
what what was female and male. But that's right. Well, well, and also, if that's true, you can't cross dress. Then the law says that if we catch a woman in adultery, we're supposed to stone her. Yeah. Or or if a man rapes a woman, then he just has to go to his her parents and pay for pay for it and then marry her. Yep. You know, I mean, we don't follow any of those rules. No, we so, don't. But so it's uh, I it, it is a little bit of a it's a, it's a little bit of a uh, trigger. Yeah, it's a trigger for me because I think a lot of people using picking and choosing certain things for other things that they may view as quote unquote icky mm-hmm. is a little problematic, especially when I know that I've been in leadership in my church and I know for a fact that every single one of those people are dealing with something you know, uh, something. And so you, they're just judging people who sin a little differently than they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I mean, I'm not going to look at these 600 and so mitzvot, uh, you know, Deuteronomic and, uh, yeah. vacant laws, but you know, but there's some good yeah. ones in there. Like, you know, take yeah. the eggs out of the nest, not the mother. I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, put railings around your roof. That's a good one. That's, that's um, a good one. Don't let your family, uh, you like this as a lawyer because there's some civic ones in there. Uh, you know, family can't be uh, used to testify against you. I mean, there's some goodies. Yeah. There's some goodies yeah. in there. We still use some of that. It's called the spousal the uh, the spousal communication. Program. That's right. See, see, so, we're still doing yeah, some of it. We still use some of that. <laughs> so um, let me ask you. I appreciate you giving me the time, and it's been. I find this to be really refreshing and really a great conversation. I really have. Thank you. Let me ask you a few questions that I ask everybody. First, okay. I, I would ask you, what would you say would be your biggest success in life? I mean, I could go on with my, you know, pedigree of things I've done and accomplished. <clears throat> In reality, it's going to be being the best me I can be and being the confident person that you mentioned. I must be pretty confident and content. I mean, this mm-hmm. this is my best achievement, what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And it sounds like it wasn't always that way. Nope. How long always is it? positive, but not really confident. So. How long do you, how long has it been since you've been this version of yourself? I mean, Five I know years. it's a constant. Really? Yeah, like I said, since yeah. I came to South Carolina was the the next pivot point of my evolution. So wow, we're talking six years to like go from hidden away to fully just in view. So, so there you have it, LGBTQ community. Move to red states. That's how. <laughs> that's how. That's how you'll fulfill. Yeah. No. Um, this this endorsement, not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Okay, the next one is what do you view to be your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I mean, it kind of goes back to like, what would you tell a kid who's struggling? I mean, I wish I would have uh, got to my truth sooner, but I just don't think the resources were there. So I'm not Mm -hmm. really going to fault myself that as a failure. I did the best I could. Um, Failure wise, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, if it's not Savannah specific, I mean, I think I've done pretty well. I went to college, got two degrees, wrote some books, you know, in relationships, some good, some not so good. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I mean, I think we all fail. We all fall down. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't really point to something that was like, wow, that was like the worst thing I've done in my life. Yeah. What are your degrees in? I got two degrees in architecture. Oh, and nice. Not, and I've not worked a day in the field. In life, so. <laughs> that happens to a lot of so people. So there you go, kids, go to college. Yeah. No, you know, I tell my kids, and this was specific for me, uh, I remember somebody telling me when they were going to college and they said they were going to go to law school. They said, I just want to be trained in something like, <laughs> and he goes, he goes like, like, I want to get a degree in something that makes me 
do a specific thing. And so that's what I kind of told my kids. I'm like, listen, you can do whatever you want. But I would tell you as far as college, like you should go to get trained for something specific. Because if you guess like you, you know, you get just like this random business degree that doesn't really train you for anything in specific. It's hard to figure out what you truly want to do. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, yeah. and so um, anyhow, here's the last question you know, it's someday we hope it's years and years and years down the road, but someday you're going to pass away. And when you do, there'll be a funeral and someone will give your eulogy. What's the one thing you hope somebody would say in your eulogy? I don't know. Maybe some cool reference from like a like AC song, um, <laughs> or maybe 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 some quote that I am Iron Man. I don't know something like that. But <laughs> yeah. if I had if I like like the one thing I would hope to leave this planet with as a legacy is if that person that is eulogizing me said that I made a difference in some small part to their life. Oh yeah, That's it's funny. It's funny you bring up a different quote. I actually have it in my estate plan that on my tombstone. It has to say, my body lies, but still I roam from Metallica, wherever I may roam. That's, I put that on there. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, well, I, I have really appreciated this conversation. And I appreciate you being so willing to have difficult conversation. You know, like I know that some of those questions may have come off a little, you know, make, make like I think uncomfortable conversations are good sometimes because it's uncomfortable because – people are really passionate about it, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, I think that more conversations like this are needed to kind of bridge the gaps. Yeah. But as long as a conversation, any conversation can be uncomfortable as long as it's not come at with judgment yeah, or with like, yeah. you know, blame, then yeah. a conversation is so much more worth having. Right. Well, and I hope, you know, for anybody listening to this, I hope the whole purpose of this podcast has been, to give people an opportunity to hear a perspective from somebody else to realize they're having a very real human experience. And you definitely are. And, uh, you know, I've had people tell me, um, you know, I, I read one on a just me podcast. The first one I did, um, a listener wrote in and said, I don't have to, you know, he said, I could even read the, or I could even listen to the drag queen episodes, even if I don't endorse that, I could at least understand that they're, they're yeah. coming to something. And, and I, and I shared this story a few times. I ha I did one, uh, I did a podcast early on and I'm really proud of it with someone who's polyamorous, mm. who's a Mormon, who's Mormon. And now her and her husband are participating in a polyamorous relationship. And, um, you know, her sister, she did it anonymously, <laughs> but her sister heard the podcast and knew it was her. <laughs> And and didn't know that, like, and when she started sharing her childhood, recognized it was her. And she sent me a message and she was, like, kind of upset at first that, like, you know, I don't agree with some of the things that she's saying and all this stuff. And I told her, I said, uh, I go, hey, listen, I can't confirm or deny. But I said, but I will, I do want you to know that what she's saying is a very real experience for her. And it's not something, I, it's not something novel. This is something I've heard. I think if you listen to it, with a with a uh, an ear to understand rather than to respond, maybe you'll learn something about your sister. And she she sent me a message a couple of days later saying she'd actually set up a time. Her and her sister had been estranged, and they're going to talk. Aww. And and I and I don't know if the conversation happened or not, but I'll tell you that if it did, 
I don't, I don't care what happens with these podcasts anymore. It was a success, there you, go. you know? And so I hope that this one was a success. I've had a great time. And you know what? I was thinking uh, I used to do with Saints on Cinema. My friend will get really mad that I'm considering this. But I we used to do top seven. Uh, we used to do a top seven lists on movies. I, and I was thinking I want to do like just a bunch of different top seven lists. Maybe I'll have you come back and we can do a top seven horror movies and oh, see if we can. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right on. And then we'll do a crossover so that way you can uh, your your horror podcast. Why don't you uh, once again one more time plug your podcasts? All right. Well, Jim Booth, so much things. Uh, the Fox and the Famous podcast is the one I this man and Julie do, which is all about demystifying the cross dressing experience. Um, for Chuck, you have the Talk Horror to Me podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is a live stream as you can find on YouTube and Facebook. Um, what else you want to know? I got the two living cross dressing posts. You can get those on Amazon. And if anybody from listening to the show wants to reach out to me, uh, they can do the contact us page on the livingwithcrossdressing.com site. Um, that awesome. way they can get to me, but I'm also on social, Savannah Hawk on Facebook, on Instagram. So just just look for the H-A-U-K and you can <laughs> find me pretty quick. Awesome. Well, Savannah, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Anybody who's listened to this, you know, please subscribe. we got a lot more exciting ones coming up. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll have you back for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Yeah, thank you.